Eve and a nice gathering of people to welcome you all. Uh, just got back myself from, from Italy, so I'm just sort of settling in. And it's uh, so we have uh, Ajahn Karunico here for a few days, and Ajahn Ariasilo has come for a, spend a few months with us, and Ajahn Kamasiri has been here for a while. He's be going back to Switzerland soon, so, so this is a kind of nice hinge point of arrivals and departures, mm, passing through. Sense of uh, when I look around and see everybody, a feeling of what I feel connected to and involved with, what I can sense myself affected by belonging to. There's a, you might say, there's a kind of uh, horizontal as a kind of sphere around me as well as is the inner bit as it were as what what we feel connected to or moved by or supported by you know, mm. in, a, in a kind of spatial temporal sense mm. So as this is New Year, it's also a time when we, we're we making time, if you like, a kind of a, uh, a meditation. You know, what is this year meaning, beginning and ending? We move through time, we, move through that, we seem to move through that kind of realm. When you look back, on, you have a chance to look back on a year. What was that, you know? And what we want to carry through next year, you know? So developing that kind of sense of, of um, I'm within something, you know. Even though we all know it's a kind of vir- virtual reality, yet yeah, it's, it's one that uh, um, has messages for us. Mm. The virtual reality of time, but there are very significant messages of what kind of impulses uh, predominate, what kind of energies predominate, what kind of energies are not present, uh, what benevolence is absent, what strength is present. Yeah, yeah. And as you get, you review a process. Mm. <coughs> and actually, this is much more than something we do at New Year. Really, New Year kind of highlights it. New Year's Eve highlights it. And of course, uh, actually, it's it's time. It's something we should give a, attention to and incorporate into how we consider Dhamma practice. Some way we could say it's just the moment of the time, yeah, <coughs> just being present at the moment of the time. But um, 
that uh, you just adopt that as a kind of attitude, then it doesn't give you a lot of of, of uh, navigation, <laughs> guidance, you know, for how to move through the through the different levels of experience that happen. Mm. So we establish things like precepts, obviously. I hope that's obvious anyway. Something that is a steering guide. It's a moment at a time within the precept form, or a moment at a time within the mindfulness uh, frame of reference, <coughs> moment at a time within the body frame of reference, moment at a time within the fr- ref- frame of reference of empathy and kindness. You know? So there's always something that one's operating within. And in Dhamma practice, you're, one is learning to, to sense that and be able to generate um, really very important values and meanings rather than just uh, 2004, 2005, 2006. You know, actually, you know, you, you want to live within the kind of realm of Dhamma rather than just the purely spatial, temporal realm. And, you know, what one's living within. <clears throat> because then actually when you when you have that kind of reference then there's uh, a sense of what you're within and the sense of your center are very much the same mm. now quite a lot of our life is spent uh, when we're considering ourselves as time-bound beings as well how do I operate within that and that is other than me isn't it how do I operate within this group of people who are different from me, who I've got to kind of negotiate with, you know, how to operate within this particular society. And there's a kind of edge of meeting, which is rather nervous and edgy. You want to find your way with it. Because from that um, way of seeing things, that particular view, we really see, see ourselves as separate. And therefore, every occasion, you've got to find out how to fit it, how to do it, because it's going to is going to get to you, or how to get out of it. <clears throat> yeah. How do I manage to develop enough kind of casing around me <laughs> to not be bothered by all this stuff that I'm in? Yeah. How can I develop enough strategies and, and, and skills to be able to throw a judo throw at anything that comes at me? Yeah. Yeah, or whatever it is. But essentially, that, that's the self-view. It, sent, it sees me as some kind of entity separate from something else. And then whatever occurs across the, you know, between that self and other is always fraught with some kind of attitude, nervousness, tension, wanting, not wanting, separation. You know? It's like you know, that, that, that realm we're not quite separate enough, and yet we're not quite connected enough. <laughs> you can't quite get separate enough when you want to be separate because something gets at you. And you, you never quite get connected enough when you want to be connected because that it leaves you. you know? So you want to kind of keep teetering around. Uh, and then we might very well adopt an attitude of, well, total separation, you know. Just get in here, and, you know, shut everything off, and get in here. And we can actually bring that into meditation. You know, 
So meditation can become a way of kind of sanctifying dissociation. <laughs> the idea is just not, not, to be, not to be with all this stuff, just to get somewhere else. And, uh, yeah. <coughs> but, um, you know, it's the, it's the sense that, you know, clinging is a thing you can experience. The, 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 the uh, moments when one holds, or one holds on, or one pushes back, or one reaches out. So even, as we probably all recognize, in, in when we cultivate uh, meditation, you know, it can be quite a, um, a dissonance between the outer realm and the inner realm. <clears throat> so it seems to me it's very important to be able to, to find a way to, to harmonize that, you know, to, how to, to harmonize so that there's this kind of sphere that one is within. And actually the, the, the uh, simplicity of this is really where we begin with what the precepts are about, what refuge is about, what loving kindness is about, very simply. And the simple refrain to meditate on, if you like, is uh, uh, to others as to myself. To others as to myself. So that means, you know, the very sense of that is actually we're we're kind of taking that boundary of me and other and trying to actually just rub it out. But but quietly, carefully, you know, what does that mean to others as to myself? And you reflect on it. Well, that's where morality comes from. I don't do to others what I wouldn't want them to do to me. I wouldn't do to others what I wouldn't do to myself. So, so you just then, then there becomes a sense of one's behavioural patterns. They begin to normalise across the whole sphere of what one's within. And you notice when that drops, when uh, the sense of um, you know, other people's behaviour you're really angry with. You can't actually, you can't actually sense it, you can't actually sympathise with it. So then we start blaming or judging. Or or opinionating about how other people are. So then it's very uh, important to deepen that sense of to others as to myself into what uh, the whole sphere of, of kindness and compassion is about. Yeah. So if we look at precepts, you're looking at it on a be- purely behavioral level with uh, the Brahma Vihara, kindness, compassion, appreciation, <laughs> and uh, evenness, evenness of mind, it's a much more fine-tuned kind of uh, sense of of uh, what holds the whole realm of being. Let not that wave of aversion be sustained when you get the ripple of aversion coming up. Just how to not make that into something that's hard and a wall. 
where I'm on one side and you're on the other side of it. It's to acknowledge the sense of irritation that arises or confusion that arises or hurt that arises and how that shocks and you get a kind of ripple in the heart and then how that can kind of become a sense of aversion or fear or uh, blaming. <coughs> and, then, and then to others as to myself. There's no, there isn't the, you know, we reach across the wall. And it's not really a matter, uh, I would suggest, of particularly trying to develop a certain emotion, but just bearing that in mind, just bearing to others as to myself, just holding that in mind and letting that address. So very often in the Brahma Vihara, there's... Uh, we tend to focus on the quality of what is kindness, what, is, what would really be the kind thing to do. And you see, a, a, uh, say, a drunk begging for money for his bottle of mess. Is it a kindness to give him some money or a kindness not to give him some money? You know? And you get into these kind of ethical dilemmas. And how much kindness, and can I keep it going? You know? uh, how much do I have to kind of pump up. <clears throat> you know, but it, my, my sense is much more that you, know, you just actually bring the basic frame of reference to others as to myself into mind and you know, let the specific occasion <coughs> evoke. You know, kindness is actually metta, is the sense of that which nourishes. Yeah. At which it's likened to the mother nursing a child. It's the nourishing kind of quality. So you just kind of dwell in what, how we would all, we all need some kind of nourishment. Uh, compassion is the protective quality. It's the thing that that supervises, makes sure no harm arises here, nothing injurious occurs here. It's a warding off kind of. Uh, Quality. We all appreciate that. Appreciation itself, mudita, is the sense of being able to look on with a sense of gladness at how uh, another person's strength, or their grace, their agility, their charm, their beauty, their fortune. It's, oh, it's, yeah. <coughs> it's good when it's like that, isn't it? You know? Rather than whether they deserve it or not. And equanimity is is a very wide kind of uh, uh, quality of, of empathy, whereby whatever we're going through, this is just stuff, isn't it? You know, it's, you're looking at experience very much in terms of process. So this is going through some things. So there's no instead of just uh, freezing on a particular episode, or a particular moment. This is him. This is her. She is. And you kind of develop that into a whole kind of personality. So the behavior is like this now. You know. Is there space to, to be present with that? See, that's kind of part of a process. So then, actually, with cultivation like that, um, then you kind of center is based upon that, that kind of principle. 
rather than a me principle, me you principle. What um, what's in it for me? How am I doing? You know, which is always a principle of separation. <coughs> I imagine for many people, the uh, uh, current big event have been this tsunami, the big uh, tidal wave that's um, taken the lives of, they don't know how many people, hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, They they say they'll never really know because there's so many bodies just swept out to sea or buried under rubbish and deluge. Things of this nature, you know. yeah. and uh, today somebody was came to see us. I'll make an offering after me, and I was talking to this Thai woman. She'd her family was in Phuket, which is in one of these southern beach towns of Thailand, and uh, all her family were killed, eight killed, and the house was destroyed, and they just took the bodies out of the trees, as it were, just blown up. So, you know, when you, it makes it very specific when you actually, you know, feel the humanity of that. And then it widens to the sense of this, all these Indian, Sri Lankan, Indonesian, Maldive, Thais, all the uh, Westerners, foreigners who were holidaying, uh, and you, you know, you kind of get a feeling of how your mind can spread to just take all this in and uh, need to just be with that and, and uh, sit with that and meditate on it. <coughs> One thing it does bring to mind is suddenly you're not, you know, uh, looking at pe- people as particularly individuals with funny behaviours. You know, you don't like the way this guy in, in Indonesia rides his bike or she's so loud-mouthed. You know, that's all gone. <laughs> you get a much more universal perspective of it all. <clears throat> and I think at that particular point, you know, when the universality of that arises, uh, then the response. There's been this enormous charitable response from uh, ordinary people in Britain you know, everybody just putting in money to try and help. And you get this lovely, immediate kind of response going right across the board for anybody, you know, from everybody to everybody. Uh, and that's the way it works, the sense of actually, you know, we're, we're putting aside the me-you principle as a kind of, as a separative experience, but into the we're all, this into, we're all in this together um, sense, that as to, other, to others as to myself. And something rather wonderful can occur. And suddenly people feel actually rather empowered. You know, I can do something. Uh, I can reach out. You know, my little bit counts. This is rather beautiful. It's about, and because of that kind of, we can meet an experience like that, sometimes more authentically than we can meet... Um, the everyday uh, niggles and arguments that go on in our domestic lives. <laughs> Where, you know, actually, we've become so polarised into, well, I'm not going to let her get away with it. <laughs> She's done that again. <laughs> you know. And you can kind of, 
we can become very very small minded and tight and get into these kind of very separative experiences on a domestic level you know? because we it, we we kind of things become ways whereby um, our identity is at stake I'm not going to let you know this is me I'm not going to let her do this this is my rights he, she's you know this kind of thing occurs and how the self view arises and sometimes over very small things you know and yet you can also without that when that drops you can experience something very grand and beautiful uh, and uh, loving because uh, you know one isn't kind of separating oneself from the experience making an identity within that The way in which we meet experience is so crucial in the kind of attitude or even the, the way our attention holds an experience is so crucial. So for uh, customarily, our attention is often geared to getting clear about the particular finite objects, the finitude of them. Yeah. You know, be specific about you know the fact, the time, the place, the incident, the person, the you know these kind of very fine details of of uh, object definition, and the, the kind of subjective quality of empathy or mutuality drops. We're not so attuned to that. We're attuned to what separates and what distinguishes. And this is the kind of uh, mode of attention that uh, becomes pr- prevalent. We get uh, in huge amounts of information on that level, huge amounts of detailed information on things. Yeah. I was noticing uh, on this, uh, I was in Italy when this tsunami hit, and then I, was, I had to be staying with a, in a friend's house who had a television. He put on a BBC World Service uh, news thing, so it had this, this. Uh, Thing being broadcast, and there was a, a news reader who was reading out the news, and behind then there'd be kind of flashes of going over to uh, Indonesia or scenes in Thailand or so forth, and he'd be giving these talks and this kind of thing. And as he was saying this, <coughs> and you're kind of taking all this in, then at the same time, across the bottom of the screen, there's another le- lot of news running, like you know. So the, the, uh, so the the screen itself, television screen, has got one bit about this this the main story, and then across the bottom of it is a kind of running band of other stories. So it's got you know you listen to this and you know, a thousand people killed and it's got Chelsea beats Portsmouth two nil you know okay so you're looking at this and then <laughs> and then it's got Lisa Minnelli has falls out of bed you know, hurts herself falling out of bed. So you kind of, I'm kind of doing a double take on this. Like I can't quite get it because you know you're looking at this stuff and running across the screen, so it's attracting your attention. But it's got things like Lisa Minnelli falling out of bed, injures herself, which probably was, you know, you know, I'm sorry about that, and, and for her that was probably a big moment. 
And yet I'm trying to balance that against, you know, 20,000 people, you know, swept aside by a tidal wave in Sri Lanka. And I can't, I can't actually keep the two pictures in mind. So what happens is that in that, in that split, my mind actually steps back. And I'm just looking at information, you know. And then, and then there's a flash, and then a commercial comes on. And the irony of this commercial was, it's a beach scene. And there's this beach scene, there's a little kid playing in the sand, and then there's a woman, elegant little woman, a kind of breeze blowing her skirt around. And there's the sea, the beautiful silver sea washing in with a yacht on it, with a kind of teetering over, and it says, live out your myth, go to Greece. And then you're thinking, you know, live out your myth, go to Phuket, get a tsunami crashing down on you. Uh, the kind of juxtaposition of these, these images. You know. So you, you're getting very specific, highly, highly crafted images placed in the mind. But actually, because they're completely emotionally in contrast to each other, <laughs> you know, they're totally emotionally, completely dissonant with each other, the only way you hold it just by emotionally dissociating from the whole thing. So you just see it as just, oh, look at that. Oh, 20,000 people there, 24,000 people there. It's like watching a football match, you know. Indonesia got more than Thailand, you know. They got more than Sri Lanka. It just becomes a kind of, a, a kind of piece of factual information. Uh, yeah. And then flash, and then, and next... It's you know, you drama tonight, so you know you get the next bit of of, of television stuff. And I was quite, um, you know, I, have, I don't see television normally, and it's all very quick, you know, punch, 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 and then you're on to the next thing. And you, go, you know, twenty thousand people just been killed five seconds ago, and now we're on to you know, Merry Christmas or something of that nature. So that you're getting a huge, you're getting, you're, in a way, people are giving you reality. Well, you know. <laughs> so here are being up to date, being in the world, living with real things, getting the real picture of what's really going on. But yet, emotionally, you're in a kind of state of, uh huh, what's on next? <laughs> You're not, you're not there with it, you're not meeting it at all. Uh, and this... Uh, yeah. Because the, the actual attention is not centred on a, you know, on a really connected level. We're, we're meeting experience purely as one-dimensional information. You know. And you have the brief resonances of mood and then it's gone. And the next one, then it's gone, then it's gone, then it's gone. You don't actually uh, really hold or fulfill a process of connecting to an event. I think this happens probably in a much lesser level in, in our daily lives. You know, and you see people and you walk past people morning, you know, morning, you know. It's just like that, isn't it? <coughs> Hmm. 
surfaces, surfaces just passing each other. So from that perspective of this is the world, then something in me really, I'm not even, you know, it's not a question of getting out of it, I'm not even in it. I can't relate to that. So naturally there's a sense of, well, it's all just a crazy jumble. Find somewhere else, you know. So we, we kind of either go inwardly, go into some kind of mind state or another. Uh, I think one of the... Um, fallacies in meditation is to assume it's internal just as it would be a fallacy to assume it's external but anything that sets up that kind of uh, dualism is bound to be infected with uh, clinging holding so what is it that enables us to dispel clinging the Buddha said there are so many realms that we can go to beautiful realms, much nicer than this realms of nothingness, realms of infinite space realms of infinite consciousness realms of sublime bliss you can go there, you can do these things he said this, if you want to cling this is the best place to cling to but he says the uh, the liberation of the mind is through not clinging. This is deathlessness. Just to, to, just to get to this point and stop doing it. <coughs> yeah, it's not clinging internally, not clinging externally. It's just the recognizing that tendency to cling and then to keep releasing it. And of course it becomes much more than just a clinging to a particular object. It's clinging to the, the personal boundary, the personal definition. And that, that challenges us moment after moment, situation after situation, when something in me wants to just shut things out, be me. Something in me wants to reach out and get something for myself, get my territory together. Something in me is with another person, I'm thinking, oh, you know, stiffening up, you know. How can, I, how can I, you know, find a way to get away from this? How can I bring this conversation to an end? You know, how can I, <laughs> without without making it obvious, you know, <laughs> those kinds of movement of the mind, you know, you can actually feel it then. Can I, you know, just refer to another set of values of the freedom from clinging, <laughs> stop clinging, this would be the best thing to do, you know. And then the, the problem that I'm trying to uh, get away from would no longer be a problem. It would actually be a place where, where my energies could flow and I'd find balance. Well, I find this uh, a very uh, helpful uh, point of practice. Yeah. Yeah. Because everything else, there's some kind of, um, you know, movement in time to get to, situation to get to, some sort of mind state I want to get to, I want to get to that state where I feel not bothered, not, you know, easy, happy or whatever it is, you know, I want to get to that state. Uh, 
But what I begin to recognize over time of doing this is that any state one gets to, it, it doesn't last. You, know? you can bolster it up, but the very fact of having to bolster it up and hold it and protect it indicates what it's about. And there are some very fine and, and lovely states one can get to, there's no doubt about it. So, and then we might even consider, well, you know, what's the aim of meditation is that some sort of, you know, really out there state. But Nibbana is not a state, it's the, it's the giving up of states. <laughs> it's exactly that, you know. And the whole quality of, of uh, what drives us is that, that hunger for a state, that wishing to have a state, be a state, become a state, or assume we are a state already. <coughs> so you begin to review this. What, what is that sense, that the me sense? To others as to myself. You know, very kind of most simplistic, isn't it? Can I listen to others as I listen to myself? Can I wait for others as I wait for myself? Can I, can I attend to others as I attend to myself? Yeah, and and uh, not just to be nice, you know, but just because of to to recognise this tremendous push of, well, I'll, I'll do it for as long as it's it feels good for me, you know, or you know that kind of clinging, and to 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 uh, begin to relinquish that. So when we sit in meditation, we come to uh, the stillness. Practice that in your own body. You feel the stillness, the centering, and then what's around this, the space around me. Am I kind of closing it off? Am I reaching out into it? Am I somehow still agitated by what I sense around me. First of all, can I uh, practice with that? Uh, so that what is, in, what is around me is now free from harm, free from intrusion, free from obstruction. What is in front of me, what is behind me, what's above me, what's beneath me. So we're not kind of sitting, somehow holding ourselves. We can really sit within the space and feel within that. And sometimes, you know, this, this very, what I regard as a very important uh, beginning of meditation, actually sometimes you just begin with that and it starts to move from there by itself. Sometimes we, we, we don't do that, or we, we avoid that, or we, we don't make that step, we just sit in ourselves, you know, and then you kind of very internalize in thinking and wrestling and struggling and trying to stop something happening and all this kind of, uh, the energy is much too too uh, congested. So just to sort of sit and feel the space 
and make peace with the space and feel welcome in the space and then begin to um, sense of you know what is what is beautiful from the center what is blessed what is um, empathic that spread around me you don't have to do anything just have that spirit because it's actually it's, it's in line with reality we, we, whether we like it or not or whatever we want to make of it we certainly are affected you know, we're not separate We're not, we're not, uh, you know, bonded as welded into some kind of strange unity. But we're not separate either. So, rather than struggle with that, I feel confused about it. Just to really acknowledge that, and uh, what, what actually, how can we respond to that sense of not being separate? This is to me the whole where uh, you know, the meaning of religion as such is is the that which connects. So it's the Latin words mean to to connect back, to connect, to be connected to. Uh, and it's a recognition. Now, you know, what, what informs us, what vitalizes, what, what lives through us <coughs> is not uh, something that's, that's, it takes unique forms, doesn't it? Separate forms. But what lives through us, you know, intelligence, consciousness, awareness, uh, sensitivity, is a shared experience. Yeah, and our, our, our culture, we've tended to move towards the, the kind of um, what they call the slime up at, uh, theory, which is we started out being slime, and you know, and now we've kind of evolved into a complex, evolved slime. You know, this is the slime up theory of human beings. You know, we were protozoas, became slime, then. Organized our slime into more interesting forms, <laughs> and now we've got this kind of thing. But we're still slime underneath it all. <laughs> and this is the uh, kind of scientific viewpoint, or the old scientific viewpoint. And the religious viewpoint is is more like rather than from the slime slime going up, it's from the sublime coming down. <laughs> That is that there is this, uh, the, the sublimity arrives on this planet, you know, on the planetary form. And of course you can put all kinds of interesting and curious and somewhat distorted images around that, you know. Whether we actually are, this comes to the will of God or the sublime grace descending onto the planet and so forth. You can kind of create these images, Yeah. But certainly, when we try to, to fathom the experience of, of 
being here. You know? There's a lot of slime around, it's true. <laughs> and you can look at life on that level. But when Buddhist point of view, he's not really trying to figure out which, which is true, but saying, which gives you, which, where does the conflict, where does the suffering end? Where does the stressing end? And when we begin to just say, what happens when we, we have a sense of, of belonging to something that's intelligent, empathic, sensitive, connected, you know, and just, just start to resonate with that, then does this bring around uh, release from suffering or, or what? You know? Certainly, if we're just uh, going to be separate slimes, then, then you know, it's going to be a lot of struggle going on as the people claiming territory. And then sooner or later, there's the big crash of something comes and blows us away. Uh, this is obvious, and yet when you practice with your with meditation with the mind and the heart, you can very much attune to that sense of wherever the separation, you know, wherever there's a sense of me, you, is that how is that? You know? Is it a feeling of oh, I wish he understood, oh, I wish he she wish he would be, or why is he always or them again, you know, has he got that kind of mark, isn't that stress, yeah, or it can sometimes be extremely accentuated, like, so-and-so, so-and-so, he always does this every day, and you know, it's a real, you've got it etched in, and just that, you know, could, could we get to that place where we just recognize this is just the feeling of frustration, or hurt, or longing, or yeah, and, and and this is what's in here. This is what's in the in the field, in the sphere. Can I just work with that? And then the person disappears. This is how you practice uh, metta, karuna, mudita uh, upeka. So I'd like to offer this tonight and uh, suggest that as we do sort of uh, reflect on our lives and the, what's, what's there, where are the, where's the grit, where's the regrets or the irritations or the, or the hims and hers and thems, you know, uh, and then even to, to out to this uh, global catastrophe you see it individually, your own difficulties, struggles, pains, um, hard, gritty edges, you know, and uh, to spread, share uh, merit, share the blessings, share the goodness of the heart through this sphere. Uh. <coughs>